Welcome to episode 53 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The countdown continues. My book will be available in just a couple of weeks on July 30th. Want to get a free copy of Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences? Join my launch team for the book. You'll get an advanced copy to review and will be notified when it'll be available for free on Kindle. I'm so excited to be sharing this with my listeners. Visit RobbieSamuels.com slash launch team to sign up. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you enjoy business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at C-S-U-I-T-E-TV.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is an executive leader with international experience who has worked in the most senior levels of two Fortune 100 companies and is known as a strategic collaborator who brings people together to do great things. What caught my attention was her groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting, transformational book, True South. This book will teach you how to master the art of faking authentic leadership. You'll have your employees, customers, and shareholders eating out of your hands with these tricks and chips designed to save you time and prevent those uncomfortable displays of vulnerability. Yes, it's as funny as it sounds. It's her hope that her readers will be able to use this parody of corporate life and the shared laughter that results to spark conversation and change in the workplace. This book is one of the ways she shares her passion for designing strategies and conversations that engage people, creates holistic solutions, and transforms organizations. All of this is built upon her expertise in communications, culture change, collaboration, executive effectiveness, and team leadership. Please join me in welcoming Elizabeth George. Thank you, Robbie. It is so great to be here. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me from your office in Louisville, Kentucky. I I know that my guests are going to have lots of questions about sort of your day-to-day and how you came up with this great book idea. But since this is a podcast about leadership and building great connections, tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, I think I loved having a chance to reflect on this uh, when you let me, when you invited me to do this um, and just gave me a couple of days to think about um, and just really ponder those questions. Because I think in the day-to-day of leadership, the day-to-day of busy work lives, it can be difficult to make time and just stop and think about sort of what it all means. And, you know, for me, leadership is about having self-awareness to know who you are and who you're not, and then having the courage to be who you are. And I say that because I am not certain I I always felt comfortable as a leader. Um, I think over the last couple of decades, the notion of leadership has changed so much. But in the early days, remember, it was about are you tough-minded? Do you leave them front? Are you, you know, decisive, um, directive? And I... I'm actually none of those things. <laughs> um, and I think um, every situation brings out 
um, a, a different part of you. And I think every situation calls for a different leadership style. But I know that old notion of what leadership was um, and isn't anymore, but was. I didn't feel like, well, I really fit that. And I wasn't sure, could I be good at this? Um, but over time, I got comfortable with just bringing who I was to leadership. Um, and it's a little, it, it's, a, it's a much different model, but it's always worked for me. And my takeaway is to, what's to be who you are, because everybody can be a successful leader. Um, but I think a lot of it is knowing who you are and who you're not, because I, I, like everybody else, I've got my strengths, but I've certainly got my blind spots. And for me, it's about trying to build a team when I had the opportunity um, to lead others, to build a team where it was a well-equipped orchestra, you know, where there were a variety of skills and I got to lead sometimes, but it might be handing over you know, the baton to somebody else because it was their turn to lead on something that, you know, was a, was a strength of theirs. You know, so I've always enjoyed that part. It's so interesting, though, that you're really also comparing this to what leadership, as, as you saw it, was defined so differently, um, not even that long ago. I mean, probably as you were coming up into, into your career, it's hard if the people that are, you think are being considered leaders to have a style that just doesn't fit with you. And it turns out the style you have, a, a very collaborative uh, approach, uh, a, an interest in building up your team and not directing to them. I think that's where leadership probably has gone today. So you're more comfortable maybe assuming that title. Early on though, I mean, way, way back, were there evidence, uh, little points of uh, moments where someone saw in you a potential for leadership, were you given opportunities or maybe you... You just took opportunities for leadership? You know, it's funny. Um, and I'll just be completely honest. I started leading a team. I was working for Merrill Lynch in London, England. And that's where I got my first opportunity to, to lead a team. And it was going great with about two-thirds. And then I had, um, I had one person on my team who, no kidding, said, you are the worst manager I've ever had. And that just threw me for this loop. You know, I was in my 20s or maybe I was 30. And it just threw me for a loop. Yeah, I maybe I am. Maybe I can't do this. And then I moved back to the States um, and took on a couple of roles where I had the opportunity again. And I'm not really sure what shifted. Maybe it was my own belief in myself. Um, or maybe it was the reaction of the individuals that um, that I worked with that liked having an opportunity to have a voice too. That it all gelled, it all worked, and I thought, tag, there is there's a place um, for a leadership with which allows everybody to succeed and not just me. And I can do this. And then I had a couple other leaders who um, who just thought. Let's give her some increasing, you know, we're messaging about emotional intelligence and collaboration and development, and let's give this person a shot. And so I had people who would see something in me, but it was, you know, it's really about your own belief in yourself, um, whether you can do it and whether you can have the courage to just go out as you are. And I think when that clicked for me, 
a lot of things fell into place. So you have a lot of experience working in many different corporate offices, which is probably, I would imagine, the precursor to this book, True South. Can you share a little bit about where this idea sort of came from? Well, it's funny. I'm sitting in my home office, right, in Louisville, and I was right where I'm sitting here talking to you, and I had thought, you know, all right, I'm going to write a book. I've contributed to probably two or three other books, you know, and thought, yeah, three other books I have contributed, but I'd never had my own book, right? I'm like, I'm always the bridesmaid. When am I going to be the bride? Come on, I got to, let's do this. So I sat in my office and I had an idea for a book and I looked up a leadership book and I looked up in my bookshelves as I am right now. And I, I think I saw about a thousand other leadership books. And I thought, really, I'm going to add one more? What? I'm going to add one more to this list? And I thought, um, there are already a lot of great leadership books out there. There are going to be many, many more. And maybe there's an opportunity to do something different. And I'm like, where's the book about how much we love to hate PowerPoint? Where's the book about <laughs> the endless meetings? You know, where, where's the book about what sometimes is reality, um, because I think there can be a disconnect between the leadership books that are out there and what people experience day to day. So I thought, I'm going to write about that. So this book is a a parody. It's just just a fun parody of corporate life and a parody of all the other leadership books that are out there. And in fact, one of the people I've acknowledged at the back is Bill George, who wrote a really fantastic book called True North, which is a really about finding and leading from your authentic self. And it's a great book. And uh, and so that was the working title. It was True South, because this is everything you don't want to do. And so I am looking forward to sending the book to, to uh, Bill one day, and hopefully he's going to be flattered that somebody thought enough of his book to <laughs> spoof it. Yeah, that's great. I I imagine that as you started to crystallize this idea and, and tell people about it, they were sharing their own funny stories. Were were you crowdsourcing some of this or was it all from your like own own history? A lot of it was from my own um history, but when I would tell people about it as well, um it, they would say, "Oh, well, you've got to write about this." And oh my god, you you've got to do a chapter on dress down days. Oh, you've got to do a chapter on onboarding. You've got, uh, and so what I did was at the back, I I left space for an opportunity for people to send me their ideas. And if I get some ideas, I will write a final chapter and I'll reissue the book. But yeah, everybody has got very funny stories that they shared with me along the way. And I had a great time writing it. I really did. I wouldn't trade my corporate experience for anything um, at all. But I had a great time sort of poking fun at all of the things that you love to hate when you're sitting there working on version 45 of the PowerPoint deck and, you know, spent the whole day in meetings. What is something that really stood out for you as you were writing this? What was uh, one of the tales that you're thinking people would really resonate with? I reflected more after I wrote the book than I did while I was. While I wrote the book, every now and again, you know, in your life, you get creative inspiration and you don't know where something is coming from. And when I wrote this book, I'd say, where in the world is writing this? Where is this stuff coming from? It just poured out of me. So I would say after I had it in print and, you know, the test versions of it, 
I read it back because um, I had enough distance to read it back and say, what, what's in, what is in this thing that is a serious takeaway? And I realized reading it back that there were quite a few serious takeaways and things that I'm not even certain I had the intention to highlight when I was writing it. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest ones is around the need for all of us in working life to value time more than we do. I think we value money when you get the budget. Oh, you value your team when you get the opportunity to have a team and to do more work. But I'm not so sure that we think about time as a resource. And I, I believe sometimes it's not used as effectively. It's it's taken for granted that there's just an infinite enough time and people's energy to do everything. And that's just not the case. So you know, I think when I when I say it's important to know who you are as a leader, it's also important to know what the most important stuff is because you just can't do it all. There, you will run out of time, and people will run out of engagement and out of energy. And so, I think for me, as I thought about the endless email chains and the meetings and the powerpoints, it made me think that there was an opportunity to use time better, and for organizations to think about that as an asset and to deploy time to the best effect possible. So in some ways, this parody also is a parable because it has lessons sort of woven through. It's a little like who moved my cheese kind of, it's funny and that's why you're willing to read it. But there's also something in there that you think people are going to take away. It's great. I think it's a, a wonderful way to teach people too, because we're I mean, I have the same thousand leadership books on my bookshelf, you know, like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, have I read all of them? No. <laughs> uh, I like to buy them. I like to flip through them. But it's also a lot of content. And it's so true that like, having something more light. I, I mean, when I saw this, I not only read it, but I was sharing it with people. And we were sitting around laughing about it. So oh, fantastic. It's just that kind of book. So I think that's really cool. What was what was really challenging about bringing this to the world? What, what was there a sort of a mental block or technological hurdle? Like what's what was in your way? And how did you work your way around that? In writing the book? You know, it's really interesting. I, um, I had another concept for the book. And it was a more serious concept. And I, and I did something with that concept. I put it into um, a leadership book, an anthology, um, compiled by, by uh, someone we both really know and respect, you know, Kathy Fiock and Kevin Williamson. Um, and I had, um, after I did that, and I thought that that was going to turn into a book, you know, I was done. I was spent. I said, I think I've worn this out. And I didn't know really what it was I was going to do. And I think what it, what the gift was that I had that you don't always have when you are full on working 40, 50, 60 hours a week is I had 60 hours a week is I had the time to let it come to me. Um, I think that's a challenge when you're so busy that your head gets so blocked up that you don't have the time to be creative. And I had that time. So I had no blocks in writing it. It came out of me effortlessly. I think, and I think still even, it's, it is about having the courage to put something forward that is 
saying something about yourself. So the writing of it came to me very easily. Um, And now what it is after that for every writer and all kinds of creatives is saying, okay, now I'm going to share that with other people. And I am going to have to accept that there are going to be some people that they're really going to like it, but there are going to be other people who are going to say, I don't get it, or it's not my thing, or I don't agree. And I think for me, that was a big, that was a big step is to say, I'm willing to put this out there about myself, even though it's scary. Wow. That is a huge challenge. It's, uh, it's, it is one thing to create something and another to share it with the world. So kudos to you for putting it out there so we all can, and can be enjoying it. For a lot of folks, there's, um, like a struggle for trying to achieve some sort of success and clearly you're on that path. There's that fear of, of making mistakes and failing, right? Which we were just talking about what in that light, what are you not very good at and, and how are you sort of dealing with that? You know, I always had this thought about myself that I can figure everything out and I can figure all the angles out. I'm a big picture person. I'm a sort of strategic person. I look at things through, multiple lenses. So I had sort of had this thought, I can figure everything out. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is there are some things that come effortless to you and there are some things that are just a struggle. And, I, you know, I decided when I had the opportunity to build a team, it's okay not to be great at everything. And so, you know, I, I feel really comfortable with the collaborative approach, with seeing the big picture, with laying out a plan with engaging people, with helping people manage through change. The thing I struggle with, and I'm just in awe when I see other people do it effortlessly, were the people who can take something and then say, oh, well, let me just get all that down in a method or a repeatable process. And here it is. And then I can repeat it over and over and over again. And for me, that was one of the things when I was able to build a team, I needed those. And I still do. I need those partners. So I say, I I tell people I'm a really good, I'll I'll call it, I'm a great orchestra conductor, but I can't plan your wedding. You know, there's a difference Uh between, you know, orchestrating, conducting the orchestra to play song and then going out and doing, uh, I've got to get the flowers. Oh my God. I've got to get the, uh, what are the catering? Oh, I forgot it. You know, there's, there's a there's a difference there in terms of skill set and I'll say aptitude. And uh, I, I need to always surround myself with people who are who are sort of the counter to, you know, my strengths, because your strengths are that it also tells you the blind spots, too. Yeah, it's, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about being a leader. It's like being really clear about who you are and then building a team that really complements you. I think too often. Um, when you're having an opportunity to hire, people often hire people who are more like themselves, not taking into account that they would be better off building a team that included people who were very unlike them, who have completely different talents and aptitudes and backgrounds and experiences, because you'll get a more well-rounded experience from the team and a better outcome, better product, better bottom line. But it's uncomfortable sometimes. I think people shy away from it. It seems like you have a lot of self-awareness about that, and it it shows through and sort of even how you're talking about it. Um, did you always have that sort of understanding or did you have a, an epiphany that helped you move to that space? Well, I think over time, you know, a lot of us in corporate have had the opportunity. And one of the great things about working is how common it is 
for individuals to get information about their styles and about their strengths. If you think about from ages ago, the Myers-Briggs, um, fast forward up to Strengths Finder, and all of those things in between. And so, you know, those things are really helpful. They're helpful in terms of saying this is a strength and this is something you should play to and, you know, um, this is a gift all the way to, well, you know, the counter of that is that you probably have a blind spot in X areas. So just working in large organizations, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of those. And, um, and it really helped me name the things. I probably had a sense of, or you're, you know, you're, you know, you've sort of got these styles and preferences. But what those tools do is they give you the opportunity to name it in yourself and name it in others. And that's very helpful. Yeah, I think once you have that language, you can have a conversation about that with your team. I actually remember having an experience where I had a boss, a direct, who I reported to directly. And we were still figuring out our relationship and how to operate together. And it was sometimes a struggle. And we did Myers-Briggs and we turned out to both be ENTJ. And we had this like aha moment. <laughs> and we were like, oh. Both of you want to be in charge. <laughs> okay, then we'll just brainstorm together. It's fine. <laughs> like, and, and we realized that her supervisor, who we both sort of reported to, um, had a very different approach to taking in information and wanted no part of the brainstorming. <laughs> just hand her something to look at and she'll make notes on it and hand it back to you. And it really, I mean, it really did transform like how we all operated together for the next, you know, I was there for a decade. So thankfully that happened early on and we were able to like use that information to change our relationships. It's great. You're right. Like naming that as a access point, having that, that knowledge, mm-hmm. um, my background's more nonprofits, but I think those tools are now becoming even more prevalent there as well. We're, we're learning lessons from how that has worked so well for corporate. Well, I worked at a nonprofit too. I took a break from corporate and I did the same thing and I found it just as challenging, if not more so. So speaking of challenging, I imagine that the work you're doing is taking a ton of time and dedication and there's this myth around work-life balance and you could call it harmony or integration, but there's this way in which we're trying today to have have it all. And yet the line between work and life is getting blurrier because of technology, which is a wonderful tool and also kind of hampering us in a way. Is there something you're doing to like have self-care? Is there like a, a self-care practice that you have to make sure you're, you are being mindful and taking care of yourself? Yeah, you know, I am. Um, I... I have gone in and out of corporate life and and just I'll say work life because I did work for a nonprofit for a couple of years. There have probably been three times when I have taken a break from it for various reasons. It might be if I had a daughter, you know, with both of my daughters, I took two years off. Um, you know, another time I took time out to make a transition from we were living in London, England, and we made a transition back to the U.S., and so I took time off and, and a lot of times were because I felt the need to refocus, that there was something else that needed to take my, my attention and it was just time to recalibrate. As a matter of fact, I, I have been consulting now for a couple of years and I left my last role, I think, you know, when I realized that well, I had an opportunity to make a change and I thought I can make a ch- little win here within the company, or I can make a really giant one. And where's my life right now? 
and and where does it need to go? And I realized, I guess I'm sounding really serious here because I had a really aha moment that I had lost touch with my kids and that I wasn't exactly clear. I wasn't exactly clear what was happening with them because I was so focused on work. And I thought, oh my God, I think I am heading into trouble here because I've got a daughter into high school. She's going to be leaving in a couple of years. I only got kind of one shot at changing this up. And so it was the best thing that I did because when she's a junior, she's only got one more year. And is uh, you, oh, you may not know this yet because yours are little, uh, but the older they get, the more that they're gone anyway. Um, and so it was an incredible gift, but I had to be very intentional about it because I am not always really good at setting boundaries. You know, what I do now is I meditate every morning. Um, and I'll go through phases where I'm just perfect and disciplined about doing it. And some when I just give it up for a while. Um, and I can tell as I'm in a really good phase right now that it makes a huge, huge difference in terms of quieting your mind and just being able to say, especially at the end, all right, what's my intention for today? What am I doing? <laughs> and just grounding yourself in that versus getting caught up and running from thing to thing and just losing your focus. So the meditation helps me because I'm an I'm a person who is apt to just my head going in a million different directions. I hate that about myself. Um, and so there are some really positive things about learning how to quiet your mind so that you can just be really in, intentional about your thoughts and your actions. So I, I actually recently started uh, my own morning practice, and I, I've never been a morning person. I am, I'm very much a night owl, um, and even trained my now toddler to wake up late. <laughs> so so I, everyone said, oh, you'll have to change that once you have a child. And I was like, well, no, my kid sleeps in. But I read Miracle Morning for Writers. Have you had a chance to read that by Hel- No. By, I'll put a link in the show notes, mm. and I'll share it with you after this. Hal Elrod originally wrote Miracle Morning, and then there's been a number of um, versions, including Miracle Morning for writers. And it's this practice um, of silence, which is meditation, affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, and scribing, because W wouldn't make savers. <laughs> so, uh, writing, <laughs> subscribing, you know. So, so it was really helpful to me to think about how to like not just start my day in response to a need that someone else had. And for a lot of us, the need necessarily isn't maybe children, but it's like the call of our email, the call yeah. of our inbox really sets the tone for the day. And I think having a practice to stop and center yourself. It's, it sounds like it's really working for you. And I encourage anyone listening to think of how to incorporate that into their own life, including checking out those kinds of resources, which I'll, again, I'll share in the show notes, um, how Elvard's got some really great material there. So I, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, since this is a uh, network, uh, networking is such a big part of this podcast. In what ways has your professional network really shifted and changed over the years? It sounds like you've had a number of different leadership roles in different kinds of companies. You're now working on your own. You're now an author. So you'll have another circle of friends. How have you not only like, like found those relationships, but also nurtured them? Like what, what strategies do you have to keep in touch with people? You know, I think if, if I had to think about 
what guidance I would give myself at an earlier age about building a network. I would tell myself, I'd tell others to devote the same energy and time to building a network as you do to skill building. Because sometimes a a network can offer opportunities, opportunities for roles, but opportunities for learning, opportunities for friendship um, that, that are part of the joy of life and part of the success of a career. I, I think there are some things that as I think about my own um, network and relationship building, I feel good about. There are some other things that I wish I would have done more of. I think, and, and I know you're an expert in this field, and I know that you know some people think networking is a bit of a dirty word, right? And it feels a little bit like, well, the only reason that I'm talking to you is to get something out of it. And some people can feel okay about that. And other people say, that's just not who I am. And I, I can't do that. And I, I feel the latter, but it, it really is about understanding it's just a relationship and it's a friendship. And I think when I work with people and I, or I meet them in other situations, I think one of the things I like about what I've done is that I love connecting with people in general. And that's genuine for me. I just love building connections and getting to know people and sharing a bit about myself. And I don't think here's what I'm going to try and get out of it. I just think, how do I build this relationship? Because that's something I would enjoy. Um, I think, um, and what has happened to me is just, in fact, interestingly, I was in New York about a month ago. I connected with someone that I worked with 20 years ago. And I had not seen her in 20 years. But we had established this connection and this rapport such that all these years later, she connected with me via LinkedIn. And then I saw her when I was in New York. I hadn't seen her in 20 years. And she said, oh, my gosh, you should come and work here. You should. And, I, and, and it was just interesting because I thought, well, I haven't maintained that contact. But because I established it with all genuine intent of having a relationship, it it held the test of time. Um, I think what I would tell myself to do differently was to say, find, find a genuine reason to maintain that contact over time and other contacts rather than waiting so long to stay and keep in touch with people. Um, because one of the things that's been interesting for me, I've always felt that I've always sort of, you know, been passionate about reinventing myself. I thought I've got a source, a core set of skills, but I want to apply them in as many different ways as possible because I love novelty and I love learning. But if you think about trying to get opportunities based upon a paper resume, there are very few people who are going to look at your resume and think that you could do something that's outside of that paper. But if you know people and they know you, and this has happened to me two or three times, Robbie, that they will see you in a different light than maybe you even see yourself. And I'll say, well, you know, she's never done that, but I think she could do that. But just on paper, without that human connection, the chances of making shifts and reinventing yourself are pretty, and they're much slimmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love this because it shows that in the process of connecting people initially, um, you you weren't in the what's in it for me kind of headspace. You were really thinking about genuine uh, relationship building. And 
people remember you because of that. And of course, it is tricky now that we have all this technology. There's a way in which we can lull ourselves into thinking that we're staying in touch by having, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter updates. But in reality, we're not. And also, I have so many contacts on all those uh, different channels that I'm not seeing a lot of the updates from the people in my networks unless I go purposely to look for them. So um, one of the things I've used is a service called Contactually, and that's a, a, a CRM that allows you to put people in different buckets. So it's sort of what you're talking about. You've got the people that you know you're going to see regularly because they're your current clients or your current prospects or your close friends or close colleagues. But for me, I really like using it to track the people who are like the weaker links in my network that I just really enjoyed, but we don't have a reason to be working yeah. together right now. But I, but I want to keep them in mind. And, and those are the people that when I host a dinner party, I'll invite, you know, 10 people together. And th that's the list that I try to pull a few people in from because they are interesting. They are engaging. They bring something of value to the conversation. Uh, and you never know if you respark that what could come next. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to Contactually. Um, it's C-O-N- T A C T U A L L Y uh, dot com. And uh, actually, you do slash invite slash schmooze. Uh, you can actually get a 15 day trial for that. So it's really check it out. And uh, if you like it, i be happy to help you set it up because it's a different way of approaching this. So you have different little buckets to, to manage. So uh, you've got all these great people you've met. It's a man. It's always tricky to figure out how to keep in touch with them. So yeah, great idea. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely, Elizabeth. So I'm sure in your time you've gone to your, your fair share of conferences. Would that be accurate? <laughs> Would be accurate. <laughs> yeah, the book that uh, I have, which is by the time this airs, will come out already, which is fantastic. Um, the book is called Croissants versus Bagels. Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And I'm sure you're wondering why that title. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm smiling. I love it. It's very catchy. It's clearly a very serious business book, uh, says the <laughs> author of True South. That's, that could be at the top of the book, a very serious business book by the author of True South. Croissants and bagels. So when you go to an, a conference, you see people standing in a huddle, right? Those tight little networking circles that are really hard to break into. That's the bagel. And if one person sort of opens up their body language and leaves a little bit of space for you to join, that's the croissant you're looking for. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and now you will never forget that. I'm not. See, it's a very sticky concept. So the book's all about sort of how to have a more mindful approach. So my, my question is, you're going to all these conferences, you clearly come to it with a real sense of, of building community of building relationships. Is there something you're doing purposefully to make those connections at the event? Is there something you're doing as preparation before even leaving to go to the event? Like, what's your strategy around that? You know, I think as well, and that it can be hard. It can be very hard. I've done the breaking into the circle and, you know, of the conversation. I And I I do that fairly regularly. I'm not saying I love doing that. I'm. It's nerve wracking, right? Is anybody going to talk to you? Or are they going to be upset because they were having this great conversation before you joined their circle? And so for me, I just, I look at it as a challenge to do that because it's not something that comes that easily to me. Um, I think when you do go to a conference, it's, it, 
it can be easier if you have looked at the conference attendee list ahead of time, you can see, oh, here's somebody that's in my sector. That's a really easy way to go up and say, you know what, I'd love to exchange best practices with you, or do you know so-and-so, or uh, there's, you know, it's almost that degrees of separation. And if you can look at a list and think, who might I have something in common with, and how might I approach them? It's a lot easier than waiting to the day in this big packed room. So I would suggest going in and seeing who is going to be there and what are the points at which you might have a connection with individuals and seek them out. And it's a heck of, and, and they'll be in the same situation too. They'll probably have the same feeling you will and relieve that someone is coming over to speak to them. It's easier than breaking in into the circle. Although I want to read your book, Robbie, because I bet you I'm going to learn a lot of things that would make it make me feel a lot more comfortable about doing that. Absolutely. I'll make sure you get a copy of it. So uh, if we were to be speaking together a year from now, and you were sharing with me all the amazing accomplishments that you've had in the year prior, what would we be celebrating? I don't know that I even uh, knew. As I, as I told you, I wrote this book. It was a stream of consciousness. Um, and as I reflected on it later, I saw some serious points. Um, but one of the things that I'd love to see and I would love to do more intentionally in my work, um, regardless of who I'm working with, is to use humor more effectively and more intentionally because humor relaxes people. Um, I think if, you, if you're a leader, humor, using humor, using some, a little self-deprecating humor, keeping it light can make people feel that they have more of a relationship and a connection and make you more accessible. And I think it lowers the tension. And so I, I believe that if people can use humor a little bit more intentionally, it might be able to help us in organizations have conversations that are just too hard to have otherwise. And so I'd like to be able to tell you that in a year that I was much more intentional about leading chains, change using humor and a lighthearted approach versus this ultra serious, heavy sort of textbook type of change or leadership approach. And it sounds like one of your children will be heading off to college a year from now. It's a huge, yes. huge. <laughs> it is. And to have been a part of this process with her and helping her figure out who she is and where she belongs, it's just been a gift. That's awesome. So, so how can people find you or follow your work? Oh, well, I've got a Facebook page and it's a professional Facebook page, Elizabeth H. George, because there's a very, very well-known mystery novelist named Elizabeth George, who is a fantastic writer. So that's why I use the H in my name. Um, and then also you can check out my website, which is searchlight.com, searchlightcom.com, which has um, information about my work and um um, a link to Amazon for my book, True South, A Journey to the Heart of Working Despair. Fantastic. I will put all those links in the show notes, folks, and you'll find it uh, at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you, Robbie. It's been a load of fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Elizabeth George. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? 
something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that stood out for me was how clear Elizabeth was about her work style. She was aware of her strengths and her blind spots. This seemed to serve her especially well when building a team. She had to accept it was okay to not be great at everything and hire the right people to complement her strengths. If you find yourself struggling to be an effective communicator or finding it challenging to work on a team, you would benefit from being as clear as Elizabeth about your work style. In the show notes, I'll put resources to help you do just that. Two books from Amazon. The first, Your Success is in Your Personality, Find Success in Your MBTI Personality Type. And the second book is Strengths Finder 2.0. I also appreciated the importance Elizabeth placed on giving herself time to be creative. As a culture, we're becoming more and more go, 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 and don't give ourselves time to just be. For instance, it used to be that we could have small moments of quiet during our commute, regardless of whether we drove, took the bus or train, or walked. Nowadays, that time seems to be always filled with checking email, the news, or, or Facebook if we're on major transit, or listening to podcasts or the news if we're driving or walking. We need some downtime to be creative so our brain has a chance to develop new ideas. On that point, I want to underscore the intentionality Elizabeth has about setting boundaries in her work so she can be more present with her family, and that she is using meditation to help her quiet her mind and set her intentions for the day. I'll put a link in the show notes to Miracle Morning for Writers by Hal Elrod. I am definitely still not a morning person, but I have made some significant changes to my routine since reading the book earlier this year. I hope you find it helpful. Is networking an important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. This fall, I'm launching a beta version of a group coaching program. This is a virtual program, so if it sounds like something you'd want to be a part of, we should set up a time to chat and see if it would be a good fit for you. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S dot com. Do you host a conference or a convention and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable because of all the connections they made? I work with associations and companies, design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Do you know someone who might be interested in this? I would welcome the introduction. And as a busy solopreneur and work-at-home parent with a toddler, and one more on the way, I am juggling a lot of responsibilities. That's why I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash moves for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash moves, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 53. And just a reminder that you are encouraged to join my launch team by visiting robbysamuels.com slash launch team. You'll receive an advanced copy of Croissants versus Bagels, strategic, effective, and inclusive networking at conferences, and you'll be notified when it will be available for free on Kindle. All I ask in return is your help spreading the word, and if you feel the book was valuable, that you write a review on Amazon. 
If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com where you'll find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. Before I go, I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed, left a rating review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.